everybody. Welcome back to the TFL studio in lovely downtown Mission Valley, San Diego. Steve Govett back with you guys. I'm, I'm thrilled. This is a really special episode uh, five for me. Um, and I, I got some old, old friends. At least I think they're friends. I'm not sure if they think I'm their friend, but that's another story altogether. Teammates with the Philadelphia Wings, our, our general manager with the Philadelphia Wings and longtime friends. Uh, first and foremost, the, the elder statesman of the National Cross League and uh, the Silver Fox. I mean, we had Gary and Paul on last week. I guess they're the Silver Foxes. But Mike French, uh, illustrious uh, Mike French from the Philadelphia Wings, who's now an owner in New England and uh, residing in Philadelphia, I believe. So uh, joining us from, from lovely Philadelphia and uh, uh, the captain of of. The, the first and best captain, you know, in the history of the Philadelphia Wings and, and color guy extraordinaire uh, for those same Philadelphia Wings from, from lovely Conshohocken, Pennsylvania, uh, Scott Gabrielson um, of, of your Philadelphia Wings, and an old friend, old teammate who's coming from us from a beach somewhere in, in Long Island, uh, Jimmy Rogers, who was introduced early on in this process by by either Jamie Hanford, J. Gel Bear, or Andy Towers, as if Las Vegas was a person, it'd be this guy. So, Jimmy Rogers, welcome to the show, fellas. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having us. Great to be here, Steve. Congrats on what you're doing here. It's fun. It, you know what? Having lots of fun doing it, and bringing a lot of cool guests on, uh, and now I got you guys. So, um, look. Really excited. Great to see you. Boy. Great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you guys. And and you know, back a little background history of obviously, um, uh, Jimmy and I joined. I think Jimmy joined the Wings a year before I did. Gabe's was there for a while. Mike was uh, assembling the juggernaut and pulled off the trade of the century by getting Gary and Paul Gate for a bag of balls. I, I mean, the 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 genius of of Mike French as a general manager is that he was able to get these two illustrious players and twins from Canada and, and great Syracuse players out of Detroit for, I don't know what he had to give up, but I think it was next to nothing. Um, I've made all it's, That was a, the last great trade I made. I haven't made anyone since. <laughs> now, remember, I'm the guy that, pit, that had Max Siebel picked over Matt Vink. <laughs> uh, well, Looking back, I mean, obviously the Philadelphia Wings of the '90s were a dynasty, and and uh, you know, '89, '90, right? Gabe's, I think, were championships there, and then '94, '95, '98, uh, and then 2001, and then you know they fell off the face of the earth because Frenchie came back into the front office, I think. But um, anyway, it's true. <laughs> anyway. Um, fellas, I just want to I just want to start kind of at the very beginning of this process, Jimmy. How did you get a stick put in your hand for the first time? Uh, uh, lacrosse stick probably was not until seventh grade. Uh, I was a big hockey player and all that, but I was going to a, a little small middle school, and my hockey coach at the time, Booker Nevius, um, handed me a plastic stick that I didn't know what to do with and said, I want you to come out in the spring, put the baseball glove down, and uh, I think you'll make make do. And the love of the game didn't take long to take on, and, you know, it was just – so grateful for that. It's fun. Gabe's, how about you back in Princeton, New Jersey? Princeton, New Jersey. I'm a little brother. So I'm three years younger than my older brother. My older brother started to play. I picked up a stick in fourth grade, which is very young at the time, and just wanted to play with my big bro and his buddies and, you know, got the 
shit kicked out of me for years as a little kid and just loved the game. I played football, basketball, and lacrosse and, and loved it. And it paid off. Paid off. All-American of Vermont. Are you the only All-American from Vermont aside from recent events? Yes, basically. Ian McKay, of you know, it's now the Buffalo Bandits. He was the next All-American after me. It's like, you know, 28 years or something. Well, the so, beauty of my college career is the fact that they, they discontinued the program at Radford, so none of my records will get broken. So, unfortunately, <laughs> that's not going to happen for, for you guys because I think they're going to keep the program where Mike French is from at Cornell, um, who is going through another coaching change. But I'm sure you've got a hand in that, and we, we can talk about that a little later. But who put, who put that wooden stick in your hand, Mike, way back in, in 1905? Well, first, I'd like, before I give you that very vital piece of information, I want to say that I'm not a fan of this Zoom. I'm looking at this thing, and I see my red face, and then around me, I see you three handsome stud muffins, right? <laughs> Gabe still got that Chippendale kind of a physique, you know, and I see you looking at you. You're always looking good. You know, Roger's got that, uh, whatever that thing is on his lip. So I'm not, you know, and I'm pink, and I'm pink. So I don't, I don't like this format, but... You know, Steve's been a long-time friend. I, I'm going to I'm going to follow through with it about the stick. Um, yeah, there was you know, it's not the format, right? It's actually your face. It's my face. Yeah. Well, I, I'd I'd like it to be a podcast with no no handsome dudes surrounding me like you guys. Reggie, um, I'm actually going to take a picture of it because my internet's kind of frozen. So you're even more bloated and stuck. <laughs> so I don't have the same. Ma- I, I got to get a makeup man. Um, <laughs> Uh, the stick, you know, I grew up in, in Canada, and, you know, and there was obviously no Tupperware back then. So um, I think my neighbor, an older neighbor, you know, on my street said, you know, why don't you try this thing? And back then, you know, you had like one stick. Now, now our players have like, you know, 50. And you had like one stick and you usually put fiberglass tape around it so it wouldn't break or crack. But, you know, I know that my, when I was probably in Bantam, not middle school, Bantam. Uh, I think I got uh, my dad called up Joe Logan, and I don't know. You probably Steve, yeah. you know who Joe Logan. Is. I know who it is. Joe Logan, and and if you had a Logan with a handmade wooden stick, like you know Alpha Jocks makes now, and there was a Etienne Martin, but I got to go up there with a couple of my buddies. My dad put the order in, and we went up like two weeks later and picked up a Logan, and that's that was the the stick that everybody wanted, and they were you know Joe would only make so many, and he only he'd only give them to certain people, so I was lucky to get. Them. They were they were pretty special at the time. I do remember that. And without, you know, look, it, it, this is a conversation about about the National Cross League and the mill back in the day and those stories. And we could spend a lot of time talking about really what was a Hall of Fame career at Cornell and for Team Canada and, and Mike French certainly um, illustrious from his uh, his dedication and contributions to the game of lacrosse and, and Canadian lacrosse. But talk about Mike, the you know how you got involved with the Philadelphia Wings and, and Russ and Chris and, and the major indoor lacrosse league at the time. Tell us how that started. Well, um, I was, a, I, I consider myself a tweener. I graduated from college in 76 and um, <clears throat> when the old pro league, so I was on the young end of the old pro league and uh, I applied to graduate school as a, as a backup. And luckily I did because the league folded in 76. You remember Montreal had the Olympics and uh, the Montreal professional team couldn't use the forum. And so they 
Toronto folded, the whole league folded. So I was supposed to go second after Frank Urso. I was going to go to the Merrill Narrows. I was going to go to the Philadelphia Wings. That was my big hope. It, it went down. So um, there was no pro lacrosse for a long time. And then 1987, they, uh, first of all, I had the Canadian-U.S. game um, at the Spectrum, which was a gong show. You know, people were throwing chairs and there was fights all over the place. And then um, – So nothing's changed. Nothing's changed in Philly. Yeah. No, it was, it was really crazy. People were throwing cans and beers. It was like, looked like our game. We, a couple of the games we played back against uh, Detroit. Detroit. Detroit in 93 or whatever that was, 94. Yeah. We're going to skip that chapter of this discussion. So, so the Eagle League, it was the Eagle League, if you remember, Steve, when it first started. Uh, that lasted for about a year, but as long as I lasted, because I, was, I had a, actually had a good job back then. I was 34, and uh, Hunts called me up. And said, "Why don't you play?" And back then, we don't, you know, we have a history now. I thought it was kind of like, "Is this thing going to even happen?" And he said, "Well, I got your brother to play." I said, "Oh, okay." So I said, "You know what? I, I played for Canada in, in '82. I you know, had, you know, was bad shape." And, and then he said, "Come on and play." So my brother called me up and said, "Why don't you try playing?" You know, John Grant Seniors playing. You know, we got all these guys that you know. And so I signed up. And um, I signed up for the Eagle League, Philadelphia Wings. I think it was a 14 league. We, um, you know, I, I remember some of the games. Like we had two goalies. We had Kevin Bilger and Mark Michelle. None of them ever played indoor. <laughs> they were they were terrible. They were terrible, and they would admit it too. And then we had um, wearing next to nothing in gear, right? Like if you look at the goalies now compared to the goalies in that, they were wearing literally baseball shin pads. And yeah, it was it was a different era, no question. I, I remember. In one I could have scored. I remember in one game we, we were playing and we were we, we were lose. It was our first goalie, Bilger, led in twenty goals, and we're halfway through the game. And so they put in Mark Michella, and Tucker grabbed the the ball at center and just rolled it down, and it went between his legs and and, and in the net. And you know, that was his warm. And keep in mind, there was about fifteen thousand people at, at, at this game. So they started laughing and throwing stuff. But anyways, that's I kind of got involved with Hunts making the call. My brother twisted my arm, uh, you know, and I knew that you know we'd have you know some good players from the from the old league, like uh, 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 senior. And so I gave it a shot, and um, that's when I met Chris and Russ. And you know, at the first one I met uh, Chris, he was kind of adamant. He wanted to do it on roller skates. I don't know if you heard about that. Well, that's, it's an interesting story because I think, you know, the story I heard from Chris Fritz was he was flipping channels back and forth between rollerball and a, and an NCAA game that was on television. And he, he's like, this is, we got to do this. And then he went to you and said, Hey, we got to do this. And all of a sudden it was like, it was like, yeah, no, they're already doing that in Canada. Yeah. I can tell you it was, uh, you know, it was crazy, but Somehow it evolved and to got to where it is now, which is, you know, really probably the best spectator sport I think that's out there. So, Gabe, so you walk into the locker room. When was that? 90, 89? 88, 89, my, my rookie year. And let me just give some shout outs to, to Mike French because this is TFL and this guy's a TFL. And we're going to talk a lot of stories about the wings and the pride and tradition and the championship pedigree that was started. But when you got a guy like Mike French, the legend, okay, leading our team as our GM, 
that just it kind of set the tone strip right there. And, and the guys that were in that locker room, we all were, were winners. We were guys that came from, a, a, you know, different backgrounds or different schools. But we all had a mentality. We all, and we all had a tremendous pride of Philly, you know. So walking in the locker room in Philadelphia at the Spectrum, where the Sixers played and the Flyers played. I mean, we, I mean, we're lacrosse players. We, you know, got to uh, realize a childhood dream to be a pro lacrosse player. And although we didn't get paid a lot, when you walk into the Philadelphia Spectrum and there's 16,000 fans rooting for you, there's nothing like it. And it was really special, you know? So how, how did you make it on a team? Like, what was it just you guys, you were – close with Frenchie and you know he yeah, I mean, my, so I'll go back to that so my, my story from high school so I was I was supposed to go to Johns Hopkins and I tell kids this a lot I'm an early recruiting fallout okay I was going to Hopkins I was recruited my sophomore year in high school and by the time I graduated and they saw my grades they're like Gabrielson you're not admissible to Hopkins you know you're <laughs> not in and I'm like what are you talking about I'm an all-american lacrosse player I'm six foot 185 is it high school senior, you know, and uh, they're like, no. So my brother was at Vermont. I ended up going to Vermont. Long story short, my dad was working in Philadelphia, you know, so I was playing summer league lacrosse in Philadelphia, met, met the great Mike French and his brother, Paul. And, you know, I was an All-American, ended up being an All-American in Vermont. And, you know, Mike basically invited me to camp and I came down and uh, had a tryout where, I had my Vermont helmet on, which was the wrong color helmet. Everybody else was Maryland and North Carolina and Penn and, and you know, all, all the big schools. They're like, who's this random guy with, with the, you know, yellow and gold helmet on? John Nostrand was the two-time All-American for D3 and midfielder of the year. And, Phil, and Brian Willard was a midfielder of the year for Maryland. And at the tryout, they both got cut and I made the team. So, you know, I just – it's something I want to do. I'm more like a golden retriever just chasing a ball. And uh, Mike saw that. Dave Evans saw that. And that's that was my role. So, Raj, talk, talk about the tryout process because literally I remember this in my first tryout in 93, uh, in the fall of 93. It's literally two weekends. Like, you get, you get four sessions. You're either in or you're out. And you better prove yourself pretty quick. Absolutely. And hey, I'll, I'll go quickly to the TFL, but Frenchie, you know, totally started it all. And my quick, having played at Villanova, uh, shout outs back to my booker, Nevis, in seventh grade, put a stick in my hand, but he never told me I had to use the left. So I never used the left until probably about four years ago. But going through <laughs> Villanova, I got to know the, the, the MAB paint guys and Mike French. I went to Vail a few times and Mike was like, you're the kind of guy I want to come out for the wings. And at that time, that was the furthest thing from my mind is pro lacrosse. I didn't fancy myself a lacrosse player other than maybe buy some shots at the bar and tell some good stories and jokes, which um, we'll get into that part later. But Frenchie invited me out to this tryout, and I had no clue. I'm walking down. I'm thinking the whole weekend, what am I getting myself into? I'm out of shape. I'm not necessarily a lacrosse player. I only have one hand. Uh, but lo and behold, the tryout, like you said, you know, it's two weekends. What, you know, what do I got to lose? What the hell? I'll go down. I know some of these guys from the summer, thank God. And Hey, Jimmy, so so quick question on that. Like, you're out of shape, and you only have one hand, so you fit in with all the Canadians. Right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm worried about all these Americans that I happen to know from going to Colorado with them every summer, and I know I can't sniff their jocks, but 
all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I'm in a hockey rink. I'm much more comfortable being a hockey player. So I'm comfortable with the bounces, the rebounds. And Frenchie just telling me, all you got to do is do what I've seen you do. Just run, run, hustle, and get every ground ball you can. So, But, Rod, are you aware that the only reason he invited you out is because you were buying drinks at the bar after all the games in Vail? Were you aware of that at the time? He did tell me it should fit your style. The tryouts on weekends. So Saturday night, I got a great bar in town that we could go to afterwards. <laughs> yeah. But the you years, the guys just like you, Rod. It was unbelievable. <laughs> The best part, I think, though, about my whole little story is I was commuting from New York with three other buddies, very good buddies, a college buddy. I'll leave names out to protect the innocent. But uh, so we were driving back and forth, and he had been on the team the year before. Never dressed in a game, but was one of the five, you know, practice players and sniffing. So he got a year experience, and he was basically my tutor coach in the car rides for three hours. Do this. Don't do that. This is what they want to see. This is how you got to play. That's how he made it the year before. So on day two of the first weekend, with a whole nother weekend left to go, Dave Evans pulled me aside and actually said, hey, I like a lot what I'm seeing. Stop worrying about tryouts and doing mistakes of this and that. You're on the team. Now I want you to start to fit in with a group. What number would you like to wear? And with that, he offered me the number of my buddy that I was driving <laughs> as one of the four jerseys I could choose. <laughs> so, so had I chose number 11, which is the one I wanted, but it was my buddy's jersey from the year before, so I didn't take it. I don't know if the legend of Kevin Fitter and ever would have grown. <laughs> uh, but it, I mean, it really turned out to be great. Like, you know, I get in there and, and sure enough, you walk in and, Sorry for my uh, phone's going off. And it's on. all right. You know, we are a busy guy. We get it. Very busy. Yeah, very busy. Very important. We get well, it. I, say, I should say one thing, and I've got to give a shout out to myself. You got me on a good day. It's my 52nd birthday today. Yeah. 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 Happy birthday, Raj. Happy birthday, Raj. Yeah. Here I am, 52, and I'm thinking about, you know, the January of what, what was that tryout year, 1990. Yeah, it was October. Cali BBQ is proud to be an official sponsor of your San Diego Seals. Buy our slow-smoked barbecue at any Seals home game or online anytime at www.calibbq.media. Hey, Frenchie, talk a little bit about the you know t- picking a team back then, and, and maybe you can give some uh, insights as to why these three guys made the wings. Well, um, First of all, we were uh, quite territorial in, you know, uh, you know, uh, now we're flying people all over the planet. You know, we were pretty territorial. And all the players that we got, uh, a lot of them, and I can go through some of the names, you know, Flinney, Gary Martin, Bates, Nody, McAvoy, you know, uh, Billy Miller, McGrath, Chris Dan, Danik, and Buzzard. They're all within, like, you know, 20-mile radius for the most part. And so a lot of those guys, you know, you knew more about them. You knew, you knew how they play. You heard from their, you knew their parents. And so they were right there and really readily available. And they could always go out and play basketball together. And a lot of that, a lot of that was done at the, you know, the old gym at Shipley or at uh, Haverford School. And so that, that made some of it easy. 
Oh, you just drop in a couple of guys like Go Bay, and then you drop in a couple of Gates, and you never know how good they're going to be. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I was I went in my garage, Steve, when you asked us, and I and I went in the box and I pulled out as many pictures as I could find of the teams, and you know, and I looked at you know who the, you know how they were comprised during you know back in really the, the glory years, which were that was that decade, at, at uh, just maybe decade to thirteen years, and then ninety in eighty nine. Uh, we had a Canadian coach and one Canadian player, Paul French, my brother, right? In 94, uh, we had our best group of Canadians. I'm, I'm putting you in that group, Steve. It's <laughs> you, Dallas, Marichek, and two Gates. You know, how, how, would you, how could you lose with those five guys? That's why we had golden retrievers. That's yeah. why we had ground ball guys. That's why we had what we would now call transition guys that can get the loose ball and get it down because we had – that team was so good, 94. I just looked at it. You know, forget about the, the Finnerins and all, you know, the other. But, you know, we had a team of really athletic guys that could get the ball to the right people. So I, I've told this story before. 94, we win, and we win in Buffalo, and, and all these guys what were there. What a scary party that was. <laughs> well, the party was scary. We can talk about that after. But when we won, we're on the, on the floor – and Ike Richmond, who was a PR guy at the time for the Flyers and, and the Wings and, and all that type of stuff, was rounding us up because they were giving Gabe's the cup. And we were all like, no fucking way. We got to get off the floor because people were throwing quarters at us. And the fact of the matter is, and I've told this story before, is I didn't want to get off the floor because I was picking up the quarters because I was only getting 83 bucks a game and I, had, I needed the money. So uh, we were sticking around, but there were batteries flying. There was all sorts of stuff. But Gabe's, I want to I want to hit you with with just a, a one name kind of tell me a, a Dallas Elliott story about that time frame when, you know, I mean, Dallas is a bit of an odd bird. One day I'm going to have him on this show, but I think he's got to earn the right to get on the show because um, he's not quite hit TFL status yet. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, he is a TFL, that's for sure. The GOAT, best goalie of all time. But Dallas was pretty temperamental. He was a little fragile. Um, he knew his stats. He knew his saves. You know, he knew what he was doing. Um, you, you know, you got to have a little bit – little bit of therapy uh, background and you know if you're a captain of the team and I think I used my therapy on him a lot to calm him down put him in a in a good frame of mind um we after every game we get suited up and put a tie on and no tie no touch and and uh Dallas didn't know how to he didn't know how to tie a tie so I'd have to tie his tie after every single game you know put a little dimple in it and you know all that uh, there are a couple games that he let in a few goals early and he would start to flip out about his save percentage. And he's like, I'm coming out. And you're like, Dally, Dally, no, 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 no. You're not coming out. He's like, play some fucking defense, guys. Play defense in front of me. I can't make all the saves. It's like, okay, we'll play tighter defense now. Just don't come out of the game. But he was the best. He was a chain him to the net. But, Raj, you remember a ton of times on defense when a guy would go behind the net, any particular guy, and you were taking your life in your hands. And if you watch any of the God of goaltending on, on Instagram and YouTube, and, and his YouTube uh, channel is God of goaltending, go check it out because there's a bunch of great old lacrosse uh, video footage there. But if you went behind the net, when Dallas Elliott was looking at you, you might get a two-hander right across the chin. Oh, yeah. He, he was taking out any one of Elliott because I came anywhere near his domain. 
uh, he was a vicious one in there. But like Dave said, the greatest of all time, bar none. I mean, what he did and what he stood on his head for us so many different times when we were either lapsing in front of him. And he, he gave you enough momentum to keep going. I love what no, he was no equipment. He had no equipment on. Yeah. Yeah. The story, I just loved when he would come in and, you know, if we were down or flat or we're in a locker room and he just start ripping off stats and vitals about every Canadian on the floor against us. That guy would call him this. We call him that. He's got a yeah. soft kick and, and basically give you info to how to get into someone's head or where to hit him or where to hurt or maybe his girlfriend's name. or It was almost like slap shot with the old, hey, hand or hands. Who's hands? I mean, it was like. He would feel you yeah. better. That's what I want you to say to him. And you hear him yelling in your background. I'm like, He's like, that goalie's a chair. That goalie's a chair. You know, <laughs> I didn't sure. quite know what that meant. If he was sitting in a chair, I couldn't score on him either way. Who's <laughs> the last of the great reaction goalies? I mean, you do see that. Got a goaltending. You got to watch, you know, his videos. There's a couple throwbacks now in Frenchie for, you know, for those guys that, that – you know, Christian Del Bianco, who I, I think is a bit of a throwback to to a Dallas Elliott area era goaltender who's very reactionary, kind of, you know, from the same <clears throat> same general area in, in Vancouver. Um, you know, here's a kid that grew up uh, East Vancouver, right? Dallas Elliott and now lives in Portland is uh, he's a huge lacrosse junkie to say the least. And, and definitely will be a guest on this show, but uh, Dallas is, uh, and he was a unique character. I do remember that. Certainly he liked the silver bullet girls. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. He, Let's he, go back, Steve. I, I want you to get him to, to, to provide you with his infamous barf bag collection. <laughs> you remember when we got on flights? For the, I still have them. In fact, we have a whole book of them. After I think the '95 championship, somebody copied them and put put a book together. It. I would love to actually send those out from a social media perspective because, quite quite comically, he would do a barf bag every trip, and it would be a, a guy. And there was a number of guys. He did a whole team. Uh, photo one time and it was uh, you guys will remember this but like mine I, I had a bit of a reputation Gabe's was such a good captain that I did a lot of stupid things as a player and when you got a good captain right and, and you talk about Michael Jordan pushing the right buttons with his guys and and this and that you know I'm in a situation where Gabe's would go dude you're an idiot stop doing that Right. So I, w I had this reputation of not being the smartest guy on the team, smartest player on the team. But I had he drew me with bolts in the side of my neck with with bolt. And then, you know, I, I'd cut my head open. We don't need to talk about that story. But, you know, with blood gushing out of my head, we've talked about it on other episodes. Our listeners just don't want to hear that story again. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, that was I, want to, I want to go back to what Mike was saying. He brought up, you know, having both Paul and Gary Gate and Tom Marichek. And you look at the three of us, you know, we were the first line. We were the other three guys on the line, right? So at one time, the first line, say in 95, it was the, th two, it was the three of us, Tom Marichek and Gary Gate. Yep. You know? yeah, so I mean, that tells you something right there. I mean, Raj and I, we were the righties. Um, we knew our roles. I mean, the one to credit Mike French and, and Tony Resch's coach. And, you know, it's like you put us in the right position. I knew what I was doing. They took, they took all American offensive players and converted them into defensive specialists. 
right? Going back to guys like Gary Martin was the all-time leading scorer at Penn State. Grant Amen just beat his record last year. And you got guys like Billy Miller, four-time All-American attackman, McAvoy, me, Raj. You know, you were a scorer. You weren't a D guy, really. And then we all turn into defensive specialists because all we had to do was get the ground ball and throw it to Gary Gate, throw it to Tom Marichek. You kidding me? And so Gary finally tell me, they said, stand by the edge of the crease and just hold your stick by your ear. Just hold it up there. It's going to hit you. And all of a sudden, you'll be sitting there and something will come whirling around the head and hit you in the stick. Like, oh, geez, it's in my stick. And the other thing, and get back to the midfield. It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to play play your role, right, when your role is as simple as go get the ball and give it to Gary Gate. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, name two guys you don't want to sit next to in an NLL locker room. Any guy in the one guy, uh, Tom Ryan. <laughs> post game, post practice, Tom Ryan dreadlocks down to his back. You know, just smelled. Um, never forget being in a bar after practice, Raj. We're we're up in Petty after a practice, and we're we're all showered. He didn't shower, right? Didn't wash his hair. He had dreadlocks. They were they were like two feet long, and all of a sudden we're just sitting there. Turn around and and. Like somebody says, hey, Tom, you want a beer? And he turns around and his dreadlocks just all flow like predators, you know, tentacles, <laughs> and just splashes us in the face. Like sweat just hits like Raj and I in the face. We're just like, oh, oh, my God, like horrible, you know? Raj, how about you? Who do you not want to sit next to in, in a locker room? Well, he might be one of my all-time favorites, but and he's going to kill me for it, but I don't know about sitting next to Hanford every day of the week in a locker room, but you don't know what you're going to get, where a hand's going, what's if there's clothes going on, coming off. His hair fluids. And, you know, it could be a little – the farm animal could get out in him. You never know. <laughs> Plus, he obviously can manhandle me and just crunch me up into a little folding chair and take me wherever he wanted. So I had to keep my distance at all times. Frenchie, uh, how about you? Who, who, I, I, I would say that, you know, I – you know, Steve, I, you probably said I avoid the locker rooms now because yes. <laughs> back when I was playing, these barns were like in Branton and Owen Sound and in St. Catharines. These locker rooms were so bad; they were so tight. You're in there. I don't. I wouldn't want to sit. I'm just going to say goalies. Goalies <laughs> have so these giant bags. They have equipment all over the place. A lot of them are ha- sweat a lot because they're fat. Not like Dallas, but some of them and. And I just like stay away from goalies. So I would just park myself on the opposite side, uh, you know, right from when I was playing as a young kid. So, fellas, I want to tell a quick story, and then I, I want to let you guys kind of riff from there. But, uh, you know, we we were playing one time up in Long Island against the New York Saints, and you played at Nassau Coliseum, and the Wings had a tradition. And when we played up there that most of the time we didn't stay up there, that we actually got on a bus and came back to Philly, and we partied in Philly. And, you know, Raj, who lived in New York, missed out a couple times. But I, I remember distinctly getting on a bus and, and Johnny Nostrant, who is, I think, now the coach at Gilman. Am I right? Uh, was it was it uh, uh, a longtime coach in Philly? And a lot of people remember this guy. But but Nody was on a, on the microphone and talking about things that about his wife and his wife was on the bus with us. And we were all like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're saying that. And and it was the most hilarious thing in the world. But, we, you know, a few pops flowed, and we were on the bus on the way back. And all of a sudden, one of our players gets stuck in a bathroom at the in the bus. 
and nobody uh, could get this guy out for the whole trip. And he's, you know, he he stayed in that bus until we got back to the hotel where we were all staying in Philly. And and Ike Richmond, I'm a, again, Ike Richmond goes to let him out, and they had to open the emergency door in the bathroom. Chris Batesy pushes the door. Uh, uh, the bus knocks out freaking Ike Richmond on the ground with the window, with the emergency window, and he goes like running away, like a guy that had been <laughs> cramped up in a in a uh, bathroom for basically the better part of two hours, you know. And and we couldn't get him beer, we couldn't do anything. He basically knocked out Ike Richmond and ran into the hotel. So look who's calling. Oh, uh, guess guess yeah. Pampers already tracking me down. Yeah, I don't take that call. He probably I hurt you. But anyway, we had a lot of good road trips, and we got you know a lot of good post game parties. But tell me your most memorable, Raj, of of all those times. Well, I I don't know memorable as that. I mean, I I'm just sitting here and hearing everything. I want to give major shout out and props. I mean, we talked about Frenchie TFL and Gabe's. You said was your first captain, Steve. My first captain and total freaking legend, you know, is Tony Resch. Tony Resch is definitely got to be said. Uh, in hierarchy in this crowd and what he represents, what he did as a, on the field was the captain of my first year when I didn't really dress, but what he instilled in all of us. And, and then games took over after that, but really what we were best at, we were a family and we did everything and anything for each other at any moment, anywhere. We would dive through walls for each other, pick up ground balls. We, we would do everything and anything. And it would start it from the top from Frenchie down through Tony Resch, down through Gabe's. And that's really what made it awesome and what made us so well. I mean, I, 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 I would never have played had not Frenchie get me out there. But my first year, I remember Tommy Marichek. Here's all, all everything out of college. The greatest player I was in awe when he's pumped, coming out practicing. It's the Wednesday before our first game ever on the year I'm going to finally play maybe. And Coach Dresch has basically instilled the rule – Hey, if you don't practice the Wednesday before game, you're not dressing. You're not dressing. It's flat out. He's a first-year coach, Tom Marichek, first-year player. Tommy decides to, thankfully, go to his senior, his girlfriend's senior prom up at Syracuse on that Wednesday. I think it was a. I would think it was her high school senior prom, right? Was that whoever, whatever? But he chose not to go to practice. And the Friday before the game, Coach Resch reads out the lineup and. Lo and behold, I'm in the righty position across from Gary and Paul, and Tommy's not, name's not mentioned. And he's just like, hey, you might have made a mistake there. You might have mistaken." And he said, no, Roger's dressing you out. He looked at me, didn't know me at all really yet, and was just like, this chooch is playing over me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thankfully that next game, I think it was Sal Acasio. I'm sorry, Sal, but he let a few easy ones in on me, and I got two goals, so I never kind of came out of the lineup. But even that, Tony stood his ground. Tommy – had to bend and buckle, and I'm not Tom Marichick, bought in and became family and one of the greatest, obviously, wings ever. And flashed to Jesus. 2001, you know, I was GM, and we had a good team to a great team. Um, How did you get the good team? Well, there was a GM a little bit before me who did some things, picked <laughs> some guys that made me fit into the right pieces. Again, I just carried a, a red knapsack around and bought Frenchy shots, so I kept it. <laughs> but I got to get another I mean, we had Mark Millen, one of the greatest players ever in the history of the, you know, the game. All everything, all world, you name it. Uh, was all pro everywhere to that date, but never really kind of won, I would say, if you want to say that way. Was a big piece of our 01, but he bought into the family and 
it, it slowly, slowly got them. By the time the championship came around, there's no way we win that 0-1 championship against Toronto without him. And it was because he totally morphed his game to what we needed and what was best for us and for the family. And I think, you know, that's really what I took out of this thing. And I try to take away everywhere I go and everywhere I've gone since then. It's just the family and do anything and everything, your brother first type mentality that came from the top. It was just awesome. It was special. It was special. And Steve, I mean, we brought you in. You came in your first practice. You had a football face mask. You had a quarterback <laughs> mask on, right? We're like, who's this guy? Big Haas lefty Canadian. I mean, you fit right in. You were, you were an edge that we needed to make that team. And again, you know, we went on a run. The Wings, for my 10 years, I played in eight championship games in my 10 years. I mean, the Wings played in, in you know, in the championship every year. And the, the, the rivalry we had with Buffalo was incredible, you know, from, from wins and losses. We both knocked each other off from three-peats. You know, we won in 89 and 90, then we lose in 91. But then they go 92. We go uh, – they go 92-93. And then we beat them in 94. And then we go 94-95, and then they beat us in, in 96. You know, talk about a rivalry. It was awesome. I'm I'm pretty excited that my next guests on the TFL podcast are are Troy Cordingly and John Tavares, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that rivalry. Um, but Frenchie, you know, talk about the Buffalo Philadelphia rivalry through through that time frame. I mean, it it was pretty intense. It was it was I mean it it was good television. There was a ton of great games between those teams, and obviously through '89 with one goal games and. You know, Kevin Alexander scoring goals and Derek Keenan playing for Buffalo through John Tavares and Hamley. And the, the list of guys that ultimately ended up being NLL executives. And, and one of the hallmarks, I think, of that Wings team, and we say this, Gabe, you and I have had this conversation a few times, is that, that every guy has gone on to be a leader in his, his you know, particular expertise, um, you know, and, and has done great things beyond, you know, kind of where – uh, they were in that. So every guy has come out as a leader in, in some fashion. So it was pretty cool. But Frenchie, talk a little bit about that rivalry. Yeah, well, just before I do that, I just want to tell you that um, I remember we invited Steve to come uh, up to camp. Um, you know, I, I, I can't say I was really brilliant, but when you had Paul and Gary recommending them, what are you going to say? No. <laughs> So, and, and Paul being uh, very smart, he, he knew that he needed somebody to set him free um, to do the grinding for him. But those games between Buffalo, you know, when Les Bartley was coaching with Johnny Moranian and, you know, against us, they were, they were dogfights, you know, they, you know, they had the Kilgores, they were mean. They had some really mean guys. I think we, we were more talented at times, but they had some real grinder mean guys and, you know, they were slugfests. And then they had, you know, you know, we had. I was looking at these pictures. The the, the, the talent. You you know, if you remember the the core guys that did all the, the scoring. Everybody remembers Tom Marichek, Jake Berge, Kevin Finneran, and Gates. But some of these other guys there that, that we had that were performing those, like you said, golden retriever roles that really are the strength of your team. Because if you don't have the ball, it's the same in the league today. If you don't have guys that can get the ball, transition guys that can move the ball that can go in the corners, find it. Um, you're not going to get it to the guys that can end it, you know, to finish it for you. 
But we those those games, you know, I you know I grew up with Les Bartley and, and Gypsy, and you know I hated them. <laughs> you just you just despised them. I actually fired Johnny, so I that ended up <laughs> uh, in a, in a later uh, era. But um, yeah, and you and you know you know when we played at home against Buffalo, we were going to have close to a packed house, and we know when we played in Buffalo. You know, all the Canadians coming over the border to see the game, they look forward to it, and they'd have a close impact house. Raj, one of my special memories of a game in Buffalo happened in, in a post-game party in Le Club, and you were dancing with a relatively rotund uh, young lady, and she tried to do the dirty dancing um, lift with you. And so she ran at you. I want to say she was give or take – 250 to 400 pounds and you tried to do a lift um like dirty dancing with her and it didn't go very well for you no <laughs> well if you just if you do any of the math on that it's just sheer physics <laughs> but yeah i i mean at that time that uh, my claim to fame was i was never hurt on the field um but i had two bad injuries that i had to tell milsey keep it quiet don't tell coach what happened but in Buffalo, I was trying to do it off the top rope, and I slipped, and my ankle kind of blew up a little bit. I don't know. Can I go next week? Tell them I heard it in practice. But, yeah, some of those post games. I mean, you were talking about the 94 game. Not only were we getting hit with batteries and quarters, but then we had to walk through the halls of the, the old Buffalo Auditorium getting pelted. We had that pink champagne that they gave us in the locker room, remember? So like, yes. you only had one pair of spandex. You only had one pair of spandex shorts to begin with, and they already had a hole in them. And now they got pink. I'm like, I need these for next year. The budget. I'm not going to get a new uniform. Hey, wait a minute. You got you. And then you got beer tickets. What about the beer tickets? Well, then we went to the post game, and they they basically almost burnt the hotel down. All the you know the reservationists got pissed off. We were you know Phillies in here partying with us. What are they doing? Police, ambulances, fire—it was—it was craziness. To to explain the Buffalo Auditorium really quickly, because I think for our listeners who don't have never seen this in a in a modern building, when we left the floor, we were we walked out, we were on the concourse of the arena, and they had these. If you remember the the elevator gates that pulled apart but were open right and they had those lined up so that we could walk to our locker room but we were literally walking on the concourse of the arena after we won a championship in buffalo with a rabid i mean an absolutely rabid crowd i remember specifically people spitting at us and throwing stuff and yelling at us and chirping at us. And I was trying to get to the payphone. There was no fence frenzy, but it was like a 65 year old security guard trying to hold the gate back with all these crazy men. I'll never forget that, that uh, experience. It was, uh, you know, obviously my first championship um, in, in this organization with the wings, but, but uh, in the national lacrosse league, my first championship of, of all <laughs> of anything I ever did, but ultimately that I will be a, a permanent, you know, indelible memory for me is those people behind that gate. Like literally it felt like we were going into the Thunderdome in a movie that it was, it was just bizarre. Gabe's, what do you remember about all that stuff? I just say, you know, the, the sharpest steel goes through the hottest flame. And just remember that when that one was sweet, because in 92, Buffalo was an expansion team. They beat us in overtime in the spectrum, 11-10. The following year, we rematched them again 
at Buffalo, and Buffalo beats us 13-12 at the odd, and that damn horn was just blasting. So we lost two back, two in a row in the game to Buffalo. And then that 94 year, I mean, talk about just absolute desire and, and being pissed and not giving up, you know, whatever it takes. That game, we blew them out 26 to 15. Paul Gate had, had, had six goals in, this, in the third quarter. I mean, we <laughs> mopped them up. Remember, he scored one of them. He turned around, he went, yeah, he did. Right. I mean, that was one of the times, and actually that's a, the fun thing to kind of go off of that. I mean, we won, we won often, but we lost as well. Right. And it kind of, it, it, it gave us our edge. It gave us our drive. And that's what made this team so special. You know, yeah, we won five championships in those, in those nineties or late eighties, the nineties, but we also lost three, you know, to Buffalo. So it kind of built the character of us. It wasn't all roses for us. We got, we got, shit on a little bit you know so just built the character of the team a quick break this episode is sponsored by manscaped.com manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and hygiene if you've been listening to our channel for a while you know that we are big fans of manscaped and their perfect package essentials kit which is the world's finest all-in-one manscaping kit that makes manscaping safe and easy. And just when you think they've got it all figured out, they take it to the next level. I'm excited to be one of the first to confirm that after 18-plus months of research and development, the new Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Body Trimmer has just been released and comes with a ton of new upgrades. Get 20% off plus free shipping from your Perfect Package 3.0 purchase when you use promo code SEALS20 at manscaped.com. That's code SEALS20 for 20% off at manscaped.com. Now, back to the pod. So I want to shift gears just a quick, um, but I want I want you guys to talk about, and Frenchie, you can talk about the not the guys on this call, but um, who's the most underrated player that you ever came across? I think... You know, I, I mentioned a lot of them, you know, a lot of them you wouldn't, if you, and when I, I forgot about them <laughs> and you're asking me who's the most underrated. I forgot They're about that. Really they're, they're very, very underrated. So I had to go back and you, you by, by inviting uh, us on, I had to do homework for this. So Gary Martin, you know, think about Gary Martin, you know, you know what he did for those teams, how, how hard he played, how tough he was, you know, you know, Billy Miller, same thing. Now you, like you said, Gabe's offensive guys that were, were grinders. They were, they were, you know, they were doing all the, all the dirty work and, you know, so many Batesy, like you said, these guys are all have been successful coaches or, and, um, you know, successful businessmen, you know, people forget about, you know, like I like John McAvoy, John oh, McAvoy yeah. played deep and he was an unbelievable. He had one of the quickest first steps of anybody. Um, you know, you got a Brady, you got Denikin, a lot of these guys, you know, uh, were, I would say they were all were underrated. Brian Volker, you know, he was underrated. We had, we had a, a lot of guys. I think that I, th- I don't even think that Kevin Finneran was very much underrated. I don't think he's been appreciated. I, I actually think, and I know he does. Ask him. <laughs> I actually think that he's a, uh, you know, a hall of fame candidate for the national cross league. And, you know, second. Jimmy, how about you? Tell me an underrated player. Well, I mean, the first name that always jumps out at me is Johnny McAvoy. And simply because, you know, I have, the pleasure of playing with him at Villanova or playing for him really on Villanova. And he did everything. And then he was the most underrated college player. I mean, no one knew who he was hometown kid in Pennsylvania, just happened to go to Villanova right down the street, never really coached in high school and his athleticism and Frenchie, like his quickness and first step, he was just 
unbelievable. And then to go on to the wings with him and watch him completely change his game into this little rug rat, tough as nails, grinder, taking these out, take the ball both ways, smart with the ball. He's just yeah, – he's always been my most underrated. Well, I forgot Flinny. I forgot Flinny. Come on. I was going to say Chris Flynn, too. Can't forget Flinny Juice. The Juice Man. <laughs> so, you know what? I, I, uh, I think about underrated guys on that team, and, and I, Paul Denikin had some of the sweetest, softest hands, you know, to be able to catch the ball and finish, uh, you know, in, at least in the indoor game. You know, there's a lot of great players that, that played in the outdoor game, and, and, and I'll talk about that in a second. But Paulie Denikin, who played on the power play and caught, like, some of the most unbelievable passes coming at him. And granted, you know, right, Raj, just hold your stick right there. I'm going to get it to you type of stuff. Well, Denny had a way to finish, and, and so one of the most underrated players on that team. Uh, one of the things that, that I, you know, I've, I've kind of come to realize after reflecting on these podcasts and, and over time is, is just a number of guys throughout the league that, had, that were superstars – in college when, and, and then ultimately went on to become like, like great NCAA players that turned around and played in, in, in our league and Petro and Patty McCabe. And, you know, just the list goes on and on of, of real legends of the game that played at, at this, you know, Brian Volker, Chris Bates that all go on to coach in the NCAA, John Tillman, you know, the, Ricky Sewell. There's just so many guys that are peppered throughout the NCAA Division I ranks or, or otherwise that played in our league that, uh, that seem to be forgotten in the annals of history but uh, really contributed to, uh, to a, a significant, um, significant history uh, for the mill and the National Lacrosse League. And, and I, I love getting on here talking with guys that, that remember those guys and watch them play because they were pretty special. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to throw some names at you guys, and we've talked about a few of them already, but I'm going to do this quickly. Uh, just your initial reaction and maybe you know, one or two words about each guy. And uh, tell me about Tony Resch. I got to give a thank you for standing up to the prom date and giving me my shot. But <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend, I mean, all he does is win and just instill championships in everyone. And still doing it. Yeah. He's a, he's a TFL all the way, uh, a guy that led by example, a guy that, that uh, basically knew what buttons to push for every player, every teammate that he played with, um, you know, just a, and a, and a, just a great coach. He was, he was a Phil Jackson type, you know, and he's got the rings to prove it. That's a great, that's a great parallel right there. But, uh, Frenchie, I know he was pretty close with you through that stage and that process. And Yeah, I remember when, when – um, um, he just retired, and Russ and Chris didn't want to make him the head coach. And they said, will you do it? And I said, he's a better coach than me. He knows the game is better, probably better than me. He's more current than me. And so I said I would do it, but I didn't do it. I never went on the bench once. And Tony, who I think is cerebral, uh, methodical, uh, and always prepared, um, you know, he's, he, he's, he can break down the game. And you know what? He, he he's not a man of a lot of words, but when yeah, he says he'd be, he'd be terrible on the TFL podcast, regardless of the fact that he is a TFL, he'd be terrible <laughs> he might, on my podcast. So he might not give you not ask him to be a guest on my podcast. Uh, 
Yeah, he, but he's proven it, like you said, Steve. You know, everywhere he's gone, he's been good with the U.S. teams and, you know, in the pro, outdoor, indoor, um, you know. And he was, you know, I think he served as head coach for about eight years for us, you know, and had a pretty good record. Well, one of the things he did do, and, and all of us were kind of involved in this, was the Heritage Cup in, in 2003, I think, 2002 Heritage Cup that we, we ended up putting together um, with Scott and Jimmy, myself, and, and Tony Resch was the coach and ended up beating the Canadians in probably, I think, the only time the U.S. in indoor has beaten the Canadians, um, at least in the modern era, uh, the, you know, that was a, and it was 26 to 15 or some crazy score. And, you know, and that was, that was a team made up of a, a bunch of guys that are now, you know, if you look back on their careers, considered legends and Ken Finno was on that team and Jake Berge and Hanford Jalbert, the list goes on and on of guys, you know, uh, uh, Roy Colsey and, and just a, a ton of guys, Brian Reese and one to add to So to add to that, Steve, as you bring up the heritage cup, Mike already touched on it like the makeup of our wings teams that we needed the grinders, like the three of us and Flinny and Tony and, and uh, you know, Gary Martin. I remember that roster, we, you guys put it together and I was just privileged to be part of the staff, but we had grinders on that team. We had ground ball guys. We had guys that would get the ball to the other scorers. And the one thing that the Canadian team didn't is they didn't have, they had the top scores in the NNL from like one through 15. They didn't, have one guys. Guy. they didn't have one transition guy. No, it's like, who's going to get the ball for them? They thought it was going to be an exhibition game and we were coming loaded for bear. I will say this. I'm very proud. And Mike, you know this and you are as well, but very proud of my Canadian heritage. But one, one feather of my cap in, in my career that I will always cherish that moment was that game when Paul Gates standing next to me at halftime and we're up by like, it's like seven to or nine to two at halftime. Paul Gate goes, "It's it, this game's being played in Toronto." He turns to me. He goes, "I'm leaving." He went and drove back to Syracuse. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Gate, talk to Tavares, like Malowski, Sanderson. Like the ball would just sit there in the corner, and we'd have uncontested ground balls in the corner because no one was getting the ground balls. I mean, it was our wings model that we built the team around. It's like you got to have the the straw that stirs the drink that Mike would always say. I mean, that Mike, that was also one of the greatest compliments you could ever give to us. And when you'd say it to me, you'd send it to Flinny, to Raj, you know, to Govett. I mean, that was, we just did our role. If I could get 10 ground balls in a game, you know, I had an awesome game. You know, we all were fighting to get double digit ground balls. Hey, Raj, I made a t-shirt one year, nine grinders, three this, two of that, four of that equals one championship. That's what it was all about. You know, no, yeah. I still wear that shirt. Still fits. Hey, <laughs> I doubt that. Raj, talk about Tom Marichek. You played with him. Just a couple words on Tommy. Uh, Tommy became the best. We became such good friends. Chuchi, Chenvi, Chachi. Then to get to know him better. And Hollywood. Get on the golf course with him and just no better competitor. And I mean, he can grind and compete on a golf course like no other. I think we did a Thanksgiving or two up in my apartment in New York. Like, you know, no girlfriends, no family, really. He didn't want to go home to Canada. I wasn't going back out. It was a lot of fun. Taught me how to cook a little bit. Great, 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 man. Every once in a while, it's good to catch up with him on a text or an email chain, too. Choo-chi, cha-chi, chin-chi. 
Now the head coach down at IMG Academy running their lacrosse program down there. Oh, with, oh yeah, great. He, he obviously was a huge part of uh, the Wings organization. His, his numbers retired and the rafters uh, continues to be there and, and wonderful, wonderful player. Um, he was very, very humble, very – you know, very humble guy. He certainly didn't never fixed his hair. He wasn't worried about how he looked. Um, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Gongas, this one's for you. All right, sorry, Frenchie. Mike Gongas, this one's for you. Tell me what comes to mind when you think of Mike Gongas, former owner of the New York Saints. No, most un, most unpopular guy in North America. I remember when we. Uh, you know, he, he ran things like it was a club league, you know, and with his, with his team in New York. Everybody from the guy that took out the trash, you know, to his own players, his own management team, his own coaches, they didn't like him. I remember when you guys were in warm-up, right, and I'd sit on the bench, and they had a plan. They tried to hit him with balls. <laughs> his own team. So he'd come out there, he'd kind of waddle on out there, and the next thing you know, and he'd start screaming at him. And I'd say, hey, dude, get the hell off the floor. You're going to get killed. So I would say unpopular and, you know, uh, um, you know, unfortunate that he was that unpopular because, you know, I, I think he was in a really great market to really make something good. And it didn't ever really happen. He was I certainly. I always seem to recall every time we went up to New York and me being from New York, I'd like want 20 tickets or this and that. I'd gather them all in the locker but every time we went there, there was some kind of foul up with the ticket window, and we never got our team complimentary tickets. We couldn't get tickets. He was never giving anything away for free, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of New York, and let's stay with that theme, Gabe's, we played against him a bunch of times, but, and he might have been a chair, but he's in the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. Tell me, talk about Sally Cassio. Sally, Sally, bag of potatoes. Sally <laughs> Cassio. No, I mean, he was, he was the best American goalie that, you know, we've seen, and we had great rivalries with the New York Saints and going up there and Sal the goal. Sal's a notorious chirper. He, you know, and granted, I'm not the best shooter. I've scored a bunch of goals on Sal, probably scored more on Sal than anybody else. But when you didn't score, he would chirp. You know, it was like, good shot, you know, or, you know, that kind of stuff that always pissed you off. Jimmy, you probably know him pretty well, New York guy. I mean, he, he went to UMass, but obviously a Long Island guy. Well, yeah, it's funny. I met Sal. I met Sal when I was in eleventh grade. And didn't even really know who he was, but, but he was a cousin of a good friend of mine, and we played on a deck hockey ice, you know, deck hockey team together. And it was our goalie, so I got to know him a little there. But I got a good funny Sal Acasio story. Paulie Denikin, my uh, you know teammate for years, came up every year when the Grateful Dead would play in town. Paul Denikin and I would always go to a Grateful Dead show. So he came up to New York, Long Island, one night. I met him in New York City. We took the train out to my parents' house, get the car. I had second row mint choice seats for the Grateful Dead. Sure enough, we pull into the parking lot. We start playing hacky sack, grabbing beers, doing get everywhere to go. I reach into my pocket. Guess what I forgot? Those great second row seats to go to the Grateful Dead. Now, that's a sold-out concert. So we're walking around. I don't know what to do. I'm kind of panicking. Paul You're looking for a miracle. Paul Dennigan goes, I got it. Watch this. Goes and finds a security guard who looks a little overweight by the door. And he goes, hey, Sal Acasio left me two tickets for the Grateful Dead. You got him? He's like, Sal? He left tickets? Where's Sal's tickets? Sal was a legend on Long Island. Everyone knew Sally bag of potatoes. One thing, we got a security guard walking us in with no tickets because we're friends with Sal. But 
<laughs> Talk about JJ Bear. Anybody? Two words. Beast. Unbelievable athlete. Fearless. How about a uh, how about a, a competitor that we played against? Um, ultimately, great coach and longtime coach in the league, but uh, Darius Kilgore. I, I just say that Darius and you know his whole family. They they played Pee Wee Bantam minor in Niagara on the Lake in Virgil, where I played, and so we when I was playing junior B there. He'd come with his, his whole family, so I got I got to know him. Um, he is a nice man. He is a nice mean man on the floor, and what a what a player, power player, scorer, and you know really smart guy and, and a smart mind. He was a great coach during his stint in Buffalo. I, I like Richie too. Richie is brother. Yeah. Real nice guy. So I, you know, they, and, and very talented. He played 19 years. Right. Yeah. You know, both of them tough as nails on the floor. Darius was mean. I think I got, you know, scar under my eye from a butt end. He took, you know, gave me on a face off, but just a total badass on the floor and surprisingly a good guy off it. I, I actually must admit, I was very surprised that he was, you know, him and Rich were as good as they were off the field, but that was the, you know, credit to this game. You, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd punch your ticket and when it was work time, you'd work and want to kill each other. And, and afterwards you, you know, shake your hand and share a beer. Roger, you popped off for a second. We're talking about Darius Kilgore. Well, it's funny you should say that, but I got some good Kilgore stories too. I mean, back in the day, we definitely have all touched on it. Like there was no more hated rivalry than Buffalo and Philly and Buffalo and Philly. Um, but I got to know those guys post game a lot, like Troy, Darius, Richie, especially. And they had a few beers together and started building a relationship off the field a little bit. And every time we got together, we'd always cordially say good game and hang out a little bit afterwards. I got a story where one year we were late night back in a hotel room with Richie and, and, and Darius and, uh, turned out to be Richie's father-in-law, but I didn't know at the time it's, Three in the morning, we're all drinking beers, this and that. Next thing you know, the guy's looking over, laughing at all our jokes. He turns to me, and someone said, ah, you guys played a great game tonight, man. We can never beat the Wings. And he turned to me and just looked, and the fire went off in his eye, like, you're a Philadelphia Wing? And he attacked me and, like, jumped at my <laughs> neck to take me out at three in the morning because he's enraging. I'm a Philadelphia Wing. I'm telling you, Richie pounced up like I was one of his locker room mate, teammates and brothers. Ripped his father-in-law off, threw him down on the ground. You've had enough. Had him shaking up. I mean, that's when I knew I was welcomed into the Kilgore family. And they've been nothing but great people always. And, you know, I got another one with Darius. So, guys, like, I can't miss that. The first game I'm ever touching the floor, and I've heard about the Kilgores, and I've seen the bandana, and, you know, what a treat he was to play against. Not only was he unbelievably skilled, but he might have been one of the nastiest, scariest, pit bull-type mentality, snap on a dime, never knew it was coming. Yeah. So it was the first shift I was ever going to go out the front door and I'm going and Mike Page was our coach and he's pushing me to go. And I'm waiting for the D guy to come off the back door and I'm leaning out and Darius does his patented when he comes to the bench full speed, he gets in your box and runs the whole length of it in your substitution box before he ducks that into his door. So he's coming full speed and I'm standing with my shoulder out a little bit. and I'm like, oh, and he does a chicken wing, kind of fake like he's going to come at me. And I didn't know what to do. So I just put my arms up, but my elbow happened to go up and catch his chin a little bit. And I was like, oh, my God, I just pissed off this wolf. <laughs> sure enough, he stopped. He locked it up, and he stood, and he just waited outside of our door with his stick cocked behind his head like this. And Pager's going, go, Raj, go, Raj, go, Raj. I'm like, I'm not 
not stepping out there. You know, <laughs> Flinny comes off, I step out the door, and he takes three baseball bat swings, and I'm just defending at my shin. But, you know, that was game one. We, we long uh, told that story to each other. Another quick break. Coronado Brewing Company is proud to be the official craft beer partner of the Seals. Enjoy fan favorite Orange Avenue Wit and their new Salty Crew Blonde Ale all season long and visit coronadobrewing.com to find their award-winning beers near you. Stay coastal. Cheers. Fellas, I love I love to close uh, the show with, with one question because I think for posterity, I love to have everybody that I have on talk a little bit about the story that is untold uh, in, in lacrosse. You know, whatever story that a 30 for 30 topic that you guys would choose, if you could make a documentary, uh, and obviously I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exclude the rivalry between the Philadelphia Wings and the Buffalo Bandits because we've talked about that enough. But if you had one story that you could tell about, you know, the mill, the NLL, your history in lacrosse, uh, that you think would be a compelling enough story to make it uh, to last dance status, what would that story be, Gabe's? I think it's it's an easy one. It is the Philadelphia Wings. It's it's what this call is all about. It's the story from 1988 through probably 1998, um, the history and you know the success we had, the wins, the losses, the talent. Um, Gary and Paul Gate being the greatest players of all time, just being on the team, playing with them. Dallas Elliott. You look at the Hall of Famers that are on the list. And I think one one of the things that's most interesting that you guys touched on it is, is the, is the wings tree of success where if you look at a roster of 94, 95, heck, you know, any of those rosters, what those, what our teammates are doing today in the game of lacrosse is second to none. I mean, everyone is, is a coaching legend from high school to college to business, you name it, everybody. You know, I, you know, I might've been the captain of the team, but I was a captain of captains. Everybody on that team was a captain and a leader of men. And that's something that's story to be told. And certainly Raj is, is a legend of mustaches right now. I mean, that, <laughs> that, that is the Kevin dance. Epic. Absolutely epic. Hey. I, would, I, would, I would echo Gabe's though. Not only those 94, 95. I mean, I was through to 01 as a GM, but Steve, you know, as you stepped in after the Frenchie, GM years and what you built and, you know, instilled and what Tony Resch instilled, but then what you took to Denver, the core of, you know, Hanford, Stilly, Jalbert, yourself. And yeah, you surround it with some great players, but that's a, that's a Philly deep core that went there and went off for great years of, you know, success and what you guys built really was a model of came through Philly. And, you know, really it was a, for years and years where everyone's gone since. Frenchie, how about you? What story would you tell? Well, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to go. I mean, we've got a couple of Wings uh, documentaries already signed up, and I would say first of all, Steve went to Washington first, so he saw what it was like on the other side of this. You know, where he was he was looking for quarters himself, and then he went to and that got him the experience and the good fortune to be able to go to Colorado and now out west to San Diego. I would just say that you know I'm going to go back because in in, in the '70s, uh, you know. I remember that there was two players in the United States that were Canadians. And this may sound self-serving and a little bit Canadian focused, but there was two players and box lacrosse had no respect. They fight, they cross check. And I remember calling up coaches, go nameless. Hey, can Bill Durgill come to practice? Can this guy come to practice? Oh, we got a game. Oh, he can't come to practice because 
on Wednesday because he's got to prepare for our game on Saturday. I go, what? And so there was such a, you know, the evolution of, of, of indoor box lacrosse has been remarkable. And I want to say that something happened, and, and I'm, this is self-serving, after that 78 Team Canada win. And so Steve knows, you guys know how passionate, and Steve's the same about, you know, Canada indoor, Canada outdoor, Canada under 19, Team Canada. And if you can see now what it's like there out in the landscape with, now it's completely flip-flopped. Everybody's got to play indoor. Indoor is the greatest. I know coaches in the NCAA that didn't want anything to do with it. Now they've completely changed their mind and they flip-flopped on it. So I really believe that. And now I'm happy to say there's 300 kids from Canada. I know for me, I was going to General Motors because I had a, a shift on the night, the night shift. That, that was my, my parents told me, that's what you got to do. That's for sure. And I got on the bus and just like a lot of other guys, you know, now got on buses, paid planes and trains and they've got, a, got an education out of it. Um, you know, they've moved to the States, they've integrated with this, you know, so now I see, and I know, I think Steve's a proponent. I want to see more Americans playing in, in our professional league. And that's starting to happen because there's more inventory, there's more spaces. So I think my 30 for 30 long winded would be really about how this game, the, the appreciation for the indoor game has really flip flop from what it was in the seventies to what it is now. Well, fellas, um, it's, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I, I can't say how much uh, you guys mean to me and, and to, uh, to my career and, and my, personally, uh, my life uh, and, and the shape that it takes or has taken and, and uh, anything uh, that I have done in my life. I give a lot of credit to uh, you guys helping me craft uh, my my thought processes and and allowed me to mature and grow up and certainly Mike French was uh, was a big part of of teaching me something I, I tell my he's, he used to say things to me in board of governors meetings that stay with me that I tell a lot of people I tell my kids to this day and it's God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason and uh, unfortunately I've always never listened to him on that because. <laughs> Well, you know, because I haven't. But um, look, I want to thank you guys. I love you. I, I appreciate you coming on. Any final thoughts for our listeners? No, I mean, Steve, I thank you for doing this. We love you too. We've been through a lot and memories that'll last forever. Congratulations to you and the success you've had. We talk about the the wings tree of success to see to watch you of what you've done to now be, you know, from Washington to Colorado to San Diego and what you're doing out there and with JSI and, and the changes you're making for lacrosse and, you know, Mike, Mike as well. And, you know, it's been, you know, it's been great catching up with you guys. Raj, it's the first time I've seen you in a few years, but you know, love you guys like brothers. We share some of the greatest memories of our lives together. Absolutely. So, I, I would just say, you know, um, Steve, thanks. And, um, you know, all you guys have made your own breaks, you know, and it's been by, you know, sticking to hard work, grinding, and you've all become successful in, in a lot of places. Steve's, you know, bounced down to Washington, bounced back up. You know, I even watch his cooking show, and I made the pepperoni chicken. It Do didn't like look it? as good as yours. It didn't look as good as yours. Was it I, good? It was good. It was good. You know, I, that's the only meal I've made. During the pen, pen or this, whatever this thing is. So um, watch this cooking show. I'm going to give it a plug. It's good. He even made a dessert. Last time he made a dessert. That, that might be my next one, by the way. 
but you know, a lot of good stuff. I just bought, I'm a shameless plug. I just bought a Green Mountain pellet smoker grill and I set it up yesterday. So some of the next TFL kitchen is going to be the, the cooking on the pellet grill. And, and let me tell you, there's going to be some great cooking content coming soon. All right. <laughs> and, and the other I thing I say, I'll say is when you, when, you, when you do write that book, I got a garage full of material, which I'm happy to ship up to San Diego. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Raj. you, Steve, for putting it together. It's so great to catch up with you guys and get back, you know, into those. Instantly, you go back 20 years and feel like you're in a locker room and can't wait to get down and see you all Saturday and play together. It's such I great hate, memories and I hate all to the wingnuts out you. there. Thank I hate you. To break it, to you. it wasn't 20 years. It was longer than that. But, hey, whatever. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a blast. Uh, We'll have to do it again. I know there's a lot more stories, a lot more people to talk about, but thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. All thanks, right. love you, boys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Fellas. Thanks.